If you've got your Bibles, you can be finding 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Let's stand as we read God's Word together this morning. I want to talk about the incredible value of a godly woman. The incredible value of a godly woman. When we talk about passing it on, if there's one thing, and so many of what things we've been talking about to deal with the faith and the church as a whole, but certainly today we want to talk about the importance of the home. You can't substitute for a godly mom, a godly wife, godly woman in the home. And so he says, wives in the same way. In what way? We'll talk about that in a moment. He says, submit yourselves to your own husband so that even if some disobey the Christian message, they may be won over without a message by the way their wives live. And when they observe your pure, reverent lives, your beauty should not consist of outward things like elaborate hairstyles and wearing of gold ornaments or fine clothes. Instead, it should consist of the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very valuable in the eyes of God. For in the past, the holy women who hoped in God also beautified themselves in this way, submitting to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. You have become her children when you do good and aren't frightened by anything alarming. Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives with understanding of their weaker nature. What does that mean? Is that just talking about physical strength? We'll see that in a moment as well. Yet showing them honor as co-heirs or partners of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. You've often heard, if, ain't, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. And I'll take that a step further with this text. If, uh, if your heart's not right with the woman in your home, your heart's not right with God is what he's saying here. So that's a pretty powerful reminder. So let's pray and ask God to give us understanding of this text. Father, we thank you for the importance and the priority of the home. And on this Mother's Day, I thank you for the mom that you blessed me with and that she made sure that I was uh, raised up under the hearing of your word and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I thank you for my wife, the mother of my children, who is such a treasure and, and such a blessing. And Lord, for the moms who are here this morning, and even for those who are in glory today that we miss dearly on days like this in all ways, Lord, pray that for those who are even grieving as a result of that today, you'd bring comfort and joy into their life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Those kids were running out of here. I was thinking about moms needing a break sometimes. One one dad just, he looked at his wife one time and he said, you know, you haven't told me anything. You haven't given me any clues what you would like for Mother's Day. Is there anything that me and the kids could do for you on Mother's Day? And she said, well, there's something that I want you to purchase at the Sears store in Cincinnati, Ohio. And they lived a good bit west of that. And he said, well, honey, there are a lot of Sears stores in our area, and that store happens to be eight hours away. And she goes, yeah, I want you to put the kids in the car, and I want you to go to that, kids, the, that Sears store in Cincinnati. And he goes, what do you want me to get? She goes, it doesn't matter what you get. <laughs> Just put the kids in the car and go, and then 
come back, eight hours there, eight hours back, 16 hours, you know, whatever the Sears store could offer here, it wasn't going to give me a 16-hour break, right? And so she said, the best thing you could do for me is just uh, provide 16 hours of rest and relaxation. Any moms identify with that this morning, <laughs> okay? Some of you did, didn't want to admit it. You know, that it's, uh, we, we look, we try, we, you know, uh, Karis helped me out yesterday, but we try to say, what would be the perfect gift for mom? And you can only get so many t-shirts, so many coffee mugs that say world's greatest mom. And really, if you think about it, shouldn't there really only be one mug that says world's greatest mom? Shouldn't there only be one, one t-shirt? But the reason there's not is because we all know that God blessed us with the greatest mom that we could possibly have. You know, the the home must provide the best soil for the seeds of the gospel, and moms are often the ones who till that soil and make it everything that it should be. As we talk about passing it on in this series, we want to see this morning the importance of a godly home and the role of a godly woman in that home, and not only her role, but the responsibility of the man in that home toward her as well. We, we could look at motherhood, we could look at biblical marriage, we could see that, that marriage becomes a picture, an illustration of the gospel itself. And we also understand that this is a message that's not being passed on to the next generation. The next generation is not grasping the importance of the home or the importance of biblical womanhood or biblical motherhood. It's, they're, just not, they're just not buying into it. You realize that uh, we're at a place, Pew Research has done some studies going back to the 1960s, and today the percentage of people who will choose to remain single, even if they are in relationships with the opposite sex, the, the, the percentage of people who will choose to remain single is double that that it was 50 years ago more people will make the choice not to even begin a family with someone. And family is described in so many different ways. Not only that, what may be more alarming, while that, that trend has gone from 8 or 9% to close, closer to 20%, what's more alarming in their research is that 50% of Americans, those married and not married, 50% of the Americans have said to 46% who disagreed said, really, it doesn't matter whether someone is part of a family or not. Marriage is not really a big deal. We don't have to get married. We can have all the relationships and all the things in life. The, the unit called the family really isn't that important. We could take it or leave it one way or the other is fine. When we think about what the Bible says, and most men would echo this, Proverbs 18.22, it says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and, and obtains favor from the Lord. Now, we know that grace is what? Grace is unmerited favor. So, men, your wife is a, a, a gift of grace, an undeserved favor from God in your life. And so, you should do what that Proverbs 31 passage says to do for your mom, do for the mother of your children, to rise up and call her blessed because she is a gift from God. And that Proverbs passage that Pastor Ben read a moment ago in, in verse 10 begins by saying, who can find a virtuous wife? Who can find a woman like this? Her, her worth is more valuable, he says, than rubies. And so there's something about 
biblical womanhood that pictures the gospel in a beautiful way, that communicates and passes on the gospel to the next generation in, in even a miraculous way. See, the gospel in scriptures, again and again as we read about the gospel, it's called a couple of things. First of all, it is a message of good news. But the gospel is often referred to in the New Testament as a mystery. Something about the grace of God and the gift of God when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ that we'll never be able to get our minds around. There's there's a powerful message, but there is a priceless mystery in the gospel. And when we read this passage about this woman of God in, in 1 Peter chapter 3, we read something about her that pictures that gospel. First of all, that she is a powerful message. She presents for us a powerful message. And in a moment, we'll see that she also presents for us a priceless mystery. Let's look at the powerful message, first of all, in the text, in her actions. When he comes to use this word submit, we, we see a word that we almost, and I realize that ladies today almost want to just kind of take this word out of the Bible. Do you understand, God, what you would be asking me to do if I have to submit to this man that you've placed in my life? And I remember sitting at one particular rehearsal dinner where a young lady, I was doing her wedding, and she had been in my youth group in years past, and her older sister was sitting at the table and said, I can't believe she has submit in her vows. I would never have that in my vow. And let's look at the context of this word submit, though. It says, in the same way. What way? When it says in the same way, it means look at the previous verses. Remember, we added the chapter and verse numbers much later, but when Peter wrote this, he wrote it as a letter that naturally flowed from what we see in chapter 2 to chapter 3. And it's speaking of Jesus in chapter 2, who himself in verse 24 bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that having died to sin, we might live for righteousness. By his wounding, you have been healed For you were like sheep going astray, but you have now returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. We read a moment ago in Philippians chapter 2, as Christina beautifully presented to us, that Christ humbled himself and he became submissive. He became obedient to even the point of death on a cross. And it's in this context that women are told in the same way, like Christ. Doesn't mean you're less equal, doesn't mean you're less valuable any more so than God the Son was any less equal or less valuable than God the Father. God the Son was fully God and fully man, but to play a role, he became obedient to the point of death, even the death of a cross. He submitted himself as God the Son to the will of God the Father to accomplish the overall purposes of God in the kingdom. And so he says, in the same way, be Christ-like. Submitting yourselves, and the word submit, men, is voluntarily submit. It doesn't, it, it, there's a different word for being beat into submission. <laughs> That's not the word used for Christians in Scripture. It means that you voluntarily, voluntarily submit yourself. It's, it's the woman's role there to take on a, a, a spirit of saying, I'm here to be a helpmate and a partner for life alongside the man that God has placed in my life. And this is difficult It's a difficult thing for all of us. In Ephesians, we're told that we're to be lovingly submitting ourselves one to another. Husbands and wives alike, laying aside aside our will and our plans 
to submit to God's purpose and God's will and our plans for His children for the greater kingdom good. But it's especially difficult because of sin. All the way back in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 16, part of the curse of sin, it says that the desire of the woman, the desire of Eve would be for Adam, the desire of the woman would be for man. And you would say, sometimes men look at that verse kind of arrogantly and they misinterpret it or take it out of the context. We look at that verse and say, look at that, your desire will be for me. Baby, what God says here is that you're going to just desire me. And, and that's not in the Hebrew what that verse is saying. In the Hebrew, what that verse is saying is that because Adam was incompetent to do what God had asked him to do in the way he was supposed to lead to begin with, you're going to try to take his place sometimes, Eve. You're going to be tempted to do his job. You're going to, you're going to be insecure sometimes and tempted to do for your husband what I've called him to do. And so it's going to be a difficult task and we live in a world today where sometimes women in their insecurity will try to take the role or, or take the place of the man of God in their life because he's battling with incompetence. She's battling with insecurity, all a part of the sin-fallen world. If he's incompetent and she's insecure, then we're in need of something called redemption. We're in need of a relationship with Jesus Christ where he does through us what we can't do for ourselves so that we're not incompetent and we're not insecure because we are complete in Christ and we come together as a team for His glory. And so this is an action that becomes winsome. It says you will be able to win Him over. He can be won over, what, by your actions. And not only that, not only your actions toward Him, but more importantly, at your actions toward God. When they observe, verse 2, your pure reverent, lives. When you begin to live a life clean and holy before God, when you live to please God in every way, and you begin to worship Him, and He sees the power of God on your life, you're not insecure. You're not living in fear. It might bring the fear of God into His life, because being next to someone who's filled with the holiness of God can be a fearful Thing. And you can win him over. You can put the fear of God in him as you live a life of purity and worship before him. Where she's not afraid of her husband and not afraid of being the mother to her kids, but she sees God as the source that will put the fear of God in them through her. So her actions, that leads to a discussion of her adornment in verse 3. And he says, your beauty should consist not of what outward things. And this is not a verse that says that women should never wear jewelry, that women should never wear certain hairstyles, that women should never wear makeup. People, again, have taken this passage out of context to use it to mean all kinds of things. I remember when Bailey Smith was in a crusade here back when I was a teenager. Some of you might remember those years. And somebody had asked him, uh, Bailey, who was an evangelist, asked him, Brother Bailey, do, do you think a woman should wear makeup? And if so, how much makeup should she wear? And his reply to that was simply, I don't know. It, it just depends on her face. <laughs> well, sometimes we take this verse out of context and we, we try to, to make it mean something. No jewelry, no makeup. No, she's just got, 
That's not what he's saying here. He's saying, don't let your focus be on your outward appearance. Remember the passage from Proverbs 31, charm is deceitful, beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. It's not about the outward. It's not about what you would wear. And nowadays, we would have to remind ladies in in the 21st century that it's not about what you don't wear. Nowadays, the the issue of modesty isn't always gaudy and, and elaborate apparel. A lot of times, it's that there's immodesty in not putting on enough. And so in 1 Timothy 2, 9, Paul says, adorn yourself with modest clothing and with good sense and and, and using common sense there. And and what I would say to our young ladies is always desire the heart of God over the eyes of the guys. Always make that a priority in, in your adornment. Always place the heart of God as much more important than the eyes of the guys. This was a picture of a a woman of God who had the actions and the adornment that was inward, not outward. And then finally, it's seen in her attitude as a daughter of Sarah. If you read this passage, look look at verse 4. Instead, it should consist of the hidden person of the heart with that imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very valuable or precious in God's eyes. For in the past, the holy women of God hoped in God also beautified themselves in this way, submitting to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And it's not meaning that you worship your husband or make him the preeminent in your life. Your source has to be God as a daughter of Sarah. But it says, you've become children when you do good and aren't frightened by anything alarming. Again, she has security. She's, she's not making her decisions out of insecurity, but she's got an attitude that is secure because she understands, as the Hebrew women did, she's a daughter of Sarah. This, in the New Testament, would be described as someone who is a spirit-filled woman of God. And maybe your mother and your grandmother was that Sarah in your life who mentored you like the Titus 2 woman that says, here's how to carry yourself with grace and with confidence at the same time. Here's how you love your husband. Here's how you love your children. And we're told, Paul tells Titus in Titus 2, that the older women have the responsibility of teaching the younger women those things in the church. And so there's a strength there, a strength in humility, if you will. And if you would say, I don't have that mom in my life. God will bring other Sarahs into your life. Other Deborahs. Deborah said, I will rise up a mother in Israel. I think of my mom. I I, I praised her in, in a card that I gave her this morning because she lost her mom at age 15. And so by the time I was born, she didn't have that mom to call but God placed other Sarahs in her life, and her name is Sarah, but God placed older women in her life who mentored her and blessed her and showed her what the Spirit-filled life was all about. And as a kid growing up, I began to see that change in her life. And ladies, it may be your mom, it may be your grandmother, but somewhere there's a Sarah that God will place in your life to help you become that woman of God. That confidence, that attitude of holiness becomes so attractive 
A lot of, a lot of ladies think, no, 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 I've got, I've got to look and dress and act like the world if I'm going to be attracted. That's not the case. It's that gentle confidence, that quiet fearlessness. I remember when Tina and I were dating, and James Dobson, by the way, in his book, a lot of, a lot of our young people are not going to want to hear this, but James Dobson says that most great marriages in the courtship stages went through a little bit of questioning or even a breakup. There, there was a little break at a time. Some of you are nodding because you're like, yep, I remember when we went through that. But I remember when Tina and I were dating, and uh, I kind of felt like this is kind of a bandwagon thing. After all, three of my roommates were dating three of her roommates when we lived in apartments there in North Raleigh. And so I thought, this is kind of a bandwagon. This is dating out of convenience. I mean, three of my roommates, and by the way, two of my roommates married two of her roommates. So three of us married three of them. It was kind of cool. But, but I thought, this is kind of a bandwagon thing. We're kind of dating out of convenience because we're all together, all you know, four guys, four girls. We're all hanging out together and doing things together and all that. And so I began to question. I began to doubt. I began to have concerns. And so had a talk, uh, ended that dating relationship at the time. And, and something happened. Now, I used to, you know, every man, had, no matter how quiet, how I was a little bit introverted at the time, no matter how quiet he is, every man struggles with a male ego. And it was supposed to mess up her world a little bit when I broke things off with her. It, it was supposed to rattle her a little more emotionally than, than it did. And, and so I began to watch her now as a friend, not as someone I was dating. I began to watch Tina grow in her walk with God. I would see her at Bible studies with the young singles. I would see her not chasing after any guys. See, she told me later that God had already told her that I was the one she was going to marry. He just hadn't told me yet, or I wasn't listening yet. But she had this quiet confidence about her. And I would see her at those Bible studies over there paying attention and digging in the Word, and I was distracted because my eye was on her. And I remember we went to a particular Christmas party. I had a date, and she had a date, and we were not there together. But we went to a Christian party with a lot of people in the church that we were attending there in uh, North Raleigh area. And I'm kind of looking across the room, and I'm thinking, this girl I'm with is boring. Tina sure is having a lot of fun. And, and finally, after looking across the room, I, I saw her looking across the room, our eyes caught, and uh, both of us could tell what the other was thinking. Uh, th these dates that we brought weren't going to last. And I began to, uh, one day her, her roommate said, Robbie, what's on the list of things that you're looking for in a wife anyway? You, you seem kind of like uh, impossible sometimes. And so I just I told her what was on my list, and she said, you know who you described? I said, yep, I just described Tina Perot, didn't I? And she said, absolutely. But that confidence that she wasn't rattled, her world wasn't rocked when I broke up with her. She was walking with God, and she knew, and this is what was so attractive, ladies, especially young ladies, I want you to get this, what was so attractive to me is that she knew if she walked hand in hand with Jesus, she would go wherever Jesus took her, and she would not miss out on a thing that God had for her. And that gentle confidence became so attractive, so appealing. And I began to say, that's exactly what 
I need in my life. A godly woman sends a powerful message through her actions and her adornment and through her attitude. But the other side of the gospel we were talking about is really wrapped up in verse 7 here and the responsibility men have in this. See, a godly woman presents a priceless mystery. Now, men, I expected a few amens on that word mystery. But a godly woman presents a priceless mystery to us. I heard about a man who found one of these lamps one time, and he rubbed it, and the genie popped out and said, I'm going to grant you any wish. You get one wish, any wish you want, make a wish. And so the man said, well, the fact of the matter is, I am afraid of flying, and I'm afraid of being on a ship or a boat or anything like that, but I've always wanted to go to Hawaii, and so by boat or by plane is the only way to get there, so my one wish is that you would create a bridge. If you could build me a bridge from California to Hawaii, that would be my dream come true. I want that wish, and so the, the, the genie looked at him and said, do you understand what you're asking? Do you imagine all the manpower, all the concrete that would go into that? Do you realize all of the other things when it comes to the ships that would travel and the problems and the bridges we're going to have to have? Do you understand? I mean, you're going to get your one wish, but do you understand what a complicated, difficult, frustrating thing that you have brought on this world by asking for this bridge from California to Hawaii? And he said, oh, okay, I want to be more sensitive to that. He said, well, here, here's the thing. Let me make a different wish. Okay, we'll make a different wish. We'll throw this wish out. He said, what I want is to understand the feminine mind. I want to be able to understand women. I want to know why they think, what they think, how they think. I want to know what's going on upstairs in the mind of a woman. I want, I want the women that I meet to be so impressed with how well I understand them. And the genie looked at him and said, would you like for that bridge to have two lanes or four lanes? <laughs> what he says here in verse 7 brings great responsibility on husbands. Remember, husbands are told in Ephesians 5 to love your wives as Christ loves the church. That's the context of the word submitted in Ephesians chapter 5. See, it's easy for a woman to submit to a man who loves her like Jesus loves us. And when he's not loving her like Jesus loves us, it becomes impossible to submit to that. But when we love a woman as Christ loves the church, it's so easy to submit to that. And he says, husbands, in the same way, See, in the same way, that's what he told the women, in the same way, men, you have a role here too to give yourselves, to submit your wills and your plans to what God's purposes are. And so he says, live with your wives in an understanding way. Some translations say according to knowledge, knowledge or understanding. I think the NIV kind of waters it down here a little bit when it says just be considerate. It's more than being considerate. It means to have understanding, to have knowledge of something, to grow in that knowledge. He's saying a woman is a mystery for her husband to enjoy learning about. And she will always be mysterious. Just as the gospel is a powerful message and a priceless mystery, a woman will present a priceless mystery for us to study. And so he says, dwell with her, live with her, be there in her life, and dwell with an understanding, with a growing knowledge. Always be learning about this mystery. And young ladies, single ladies, let me encourage you. It is a wonderful thing to remain mysterious. And let that be an attractive thing in your life. 
A wise husband will learn a few things. He'll learn his wife's personality. Is she introverted or is she very outgoing? And he'll respect that. Is she very dependent or very independent? Is she the life of the party? Or is she someone who likes to talk to people behind the scenes at a party? But a wise husband, a husband who grows into this understanding, will, will learn and appreciate his wife's personality. And just as I would remind women not to try to marry someone thinking you will change him, men, don't try to. Often men will be critical of that very thing that he was attracted to when they were dating. And so, you know, I'm not going to go to a um, football game. At least I'm going to try not to. I don't get to go to as many with teen anymore now that can't graduate it, but I wasn't going to go and tell her, quit dancing around in the bleachers, you're embarrassing me. I might have been a little embarrassed, but that's what attracted me to her when we were dating. She knew how to have fun. And our home is never boring. And so sometimes we can be critical of those things we were attracted to when we were dating. So, so learn her personality and then learn her needs. Willard Harley has said the top five needs of a woman are affection. Number one, affection. Often the dogs get more affection than the wife in the home. Conversation. She thinks communication is a priority. Honesty that you're an open book, that she can trust you completely when you're with her. Financial support. Doesn't matter how much money you make, but that she knows you are hardworking and you're going to take care of things. You're going to put the family needs ahead of your own, and you're not going to buy a gun or a boat if there's a bill that needs to be paid. She says financial security is important. And family commitment. Time and attention to her needs and the kids' needs. Time together. So affection, conversation, honesty, financial support, family commitment. Those are the top five needs of almost all women. And so talk to your wife about her needs. And then her love language. Our young adult life group went through the love languages recently, but does she love receiving gifts? Doesn't matter how expensive the gifts are, she just likes opening something. Quality time, that may be her love language. If that's her love language, spend even more time with her than what you would think is necessary as a Christian man. Words of affirmation are often her love language. Family, uh, I'm sorry, acts of service in the home. That's my wife's love language. I can give her words of affirmation all I want to, and she appreciates that. But if there's still a mess where I ate dinner or didn't do my clean up after myself or pick my shoes up out of the floor or my clothes out of the bathroom, she'll see all those words of affirmation and no acts of service. I'm not speaking her love language. For some, it's physical touch, displays of affection. What's her love language? Men ask her. Say, what's your love? What speaks love into your life? Because if you don't understand her love language, you think you might think it's physical touch. Well, baby, I love to cuddle. I love to hold you. I love to embrace. Love to kiss. And she's saying, "Yeah, but grab a vacuum, big boy, if you want to win me over." So, what's her love language? Speak that love language. Understand her. Live with her in an understanding way. And he says, giving honor to her as to the weaker or fragile nature 
And that's, again, not speaking to the fact that you are physically stronger, which 98% of the time that is the case. I can think of some exceptions to the rule. But what it's speaking of is how valuable she is. See, there were vessels called weaker vessels in Scripture. The weaker vessels were like your fine china, like your teacups that you got when you got married and you put them in a cabinet and you've used them three times since. But they're valuable, they're priceless, they're fragile, they're easily broken. And then there were the earthen vessels, there were the clay pots. You know, when Paul says we have this treasure in earthen vessels, we have these, we're clay pots. They were like Dixie cups. You use them and you throw them away. And so he's saying that she is a fragile vessel, valuable and needed, needing you to take care of her, to love her, to nurture her, to be a blessing in her life, to know how valuable she is. Because you are partners, he says, heirs together of the grace of life. Heirs together of the grace of life. You know, we've got a, a couple of weddings coming up here of church members, and, and, and uh, I enjoy talking to people about getting married. One of the things I always like to ask young couples when I'm doing premarital counseling is, how are you going to be better together as a team than you would ever, ever be apart? And when they figure that out, it's a powerful thing. Heirs together, partners together, serving the Lord together is in the grace of life. The fact that she is a mystery does not have to frustrate us. It should cause us to thank God for her, to thank God for this, this thing called a dance, this wonderful thing called marriage, this beautiful thing called the home, the family, parenthood, fatherhood, motherhood, all of that becomes a priceless mystery showing forth the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul called it in Ephesians 5. Flip over as Jeff comes at this time, flip over to Ephesians chapter 5. I want us to close by looking at this passage. You're very familiar with the early parts of the passage where he tells the wives to submit to, respect the leadership of their husbands in the home. And then he tells the husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for the church. And as you get to verses 30, 31, 32, 30, as the chapter closes, 33, in Ephesians chapter 5, he says, since we are members of his body, what's his body? It's the church. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. That's heirs together of the grace of life, right? And he says, this mystery is profound. It's a mystery. Marriage is a mystery. This relationship is a mystery. The home and the family, it's a mystery. He said, this mystery is profound, but I'm telling you about Christ and the church. It becomes a powerful picture of the gospel in this world. A picture of the love that Christ has for his church that we see in a husband and in a wife. The mysterious woman of God creating the fertile soil for this. He says, to sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself. The wife is to respect her husband. What a mystery. What a beautiful thing. What a powerful message. What a priceless mystery. We give thanks to God today for that mother, for that wife, for that woman, that woman of God that he's placed in our home. Would you bow your heads with me?
Father, we give you thanks and praise. First and foremost, for the gospel of Jesus Christ, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, humbling himself, becoming obedient to the point of death of the cross. And we thank you that in Christ now, because he has risen from the grave, we have life and we have it more abundantly. Lord, I thank you for spirit-filled moms and wives who their actions speak so much louder than words. Their adornment glorifies God. Their attitude is so Christ-like, making fertile that soil of the home for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, today we celebrate that. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that it is in a world where it's becoming unpopular to preach it and to live it. Help us to do it in love. Proclaiming it both with our words and with our actions. We pray this in Jesus' name.